Hey, Trojan fans, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, a Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. A lot of tweets and people emailing, wanting to know when we're going to talk about recruiting. And, of course, there's been a lot going on with Ed Orgeron taking over as head coach. But we thought we'd squeeze in Gerard Martinez here, our national recruiting analyst on uscfootball.com. Talk a little USC football recruiting. Hey, Gerard, what's going on? How you doing? Hello, Trojan fans. Boom. You do that. Too. I have to give that to them because they usually get it on the podcast. And, and people that just like recruiting and they just want to listen to the recruiting podcast, they don't get the full Ryan Abraham. And I feel like Ryan Abraham light just isn't good enough for this week. All right. Well, it must be a big week with recruiting that if you're going to say that. What, what's been uh, what's the latest scuttlebutt? What's going on here with USC recruiting? Well, it's uh, there's been a lot. I mean, obviously, post the Stanford game, uh, it kind of definitely jump started recruiting. And you know, we made a prediction last spring. You know, USC recruiting would not really begin until this team had ten wins in sight, or they found a new head coach that could get them to ten wins. And interestingly enough, we have both <laughs> right now. You know, we have USC closing in on a possible ten win season. And we have them closing in on a new head coach for next year. And obviously new head coach could mean Ed Ergeron, who has been able to kind of turn things around and from a culture standpoint and from an atmosphere standpoint, certainly turn things around. And you you guys have seen that on the team beat. We've seen that on the recruiting trail. And uh, post winning against Stanford, number four team in the country, team that USC has not beat for the past few years, uh, you know, the recruiting trail is a buzz with USC. They get a commitment from four-star guard Vianney Talamaavo, uh, one of uh, the premier linemen, interior linemen in Southern California, a guy who was committed to Alabama of all schools, took an official visit there, uh, decided, you know what, it's just too far away from home with my family wanting me to stay closer and wanting to be able to see me play in college and decided to decommit and commit to USC all in one foul swoop. Kind of got leaked out a little early. His teammate, Trey Watson, the running back that USC is also recruiting, uh, put it out there on Instagram. And I don't think uh, Vianney really wanted it out there that soon. He didn't want it to be that quick of a flip commit. Uh, but the Stanford game, well, that wasn't the sole reason, obviously, he committed to USC. That was I guess the prime example, the signature win for Ed Erdron to say, look at we are turning around this program. We can talk to talk, but now we have something to point to that shows that we're walking the walk. And I think that's really been a big deal. And USC had several, you know, unofficial visitors at the game and uh they all were just uh completely enamored with the team you know, the the looseness of the team and how they're playing with energy. Uh, obviously, the Coliseum was uh, had some great atmosphere for that game, and uh, it was kind of the old SC, so recruits are buzzing, and it's uh, kind of starting to get to that point where this is really kind of the first quarter of the recruiting season, and I know, you know, we talk about that. We talked about that last year. And when it, you know, when recruiting really gets serious, you know, we talk about it in March and we talk about it in May and we talk about it during the summer and you have these commitments that happen early in the process. But this is really the beginning of when it starts to get serious, when kids start to get to the end of their own football seasons and they can really focus on recruiting and it really hits them. I'm going to be leaving home. I'm going to be going to college and I need to you know, pick a place for the next four years. So we're starting to get into that first quarter. You know, we're going to get into the first uh, real slew of official visits coming up here in December, and it's going to be right around the time where USC figures out who's going to be their next head coach. Yeah, I mean, that's the – I guess the first quarter of it is a good way to put it. Um, I mean, it's changed. Everything's changed since Ed Orgeron took over. I mean, there wasn't a lot of commitments. You're seeing more now, like you said. Uh, you know, getting a switch from Alabama to USC, which I think was more about – it wasn't about that they think USC is better than Alabama. I mean, it's just the, Alabama's far away. Someone wanted to keep it local. But that win over Stanford and, and having an order on go 6-0 and in conference and 6-1 and overall so far, I think legitimized USC at least. Like people weren't sure le- USC was legitimate under Kiffin. Where are they going to go? It seems like Ed Orgeron's changed that. So all those people that kind of had questions about USC seem to be – those things have been, seemed like they've been answered so far. To some extent. I, I think a lot of the kids want to buy into what Ed Erdron is doing. They know Ed Erdron. Ed Erdron has been a recruiter with USC for 
uh, a while now, this really being his second stint at USC. And so they're familiar with the program. They like what they're hearing from, I think, the players on the team, which may be most important. I think the vibe and the feedback from the team itself helps recruit USC. And the fact that guys like Deion Bailey and, you know, Hayes Pollard and, um, you know, George Uko, Sua Cravens, those guys are singing the praises of Coach O. And clearly the one thing we did not realize was that they were not singing the praises of Lane Kiffin. And there was a lot of negativity on the recruiting trail because the players just weren't happy with him and his policies and, I guess, some of the inconsistencies that uh, he had instilled in the program. And with Coach Erdron right now, everybody's happy-go-lucky. And they, they love playing for him. They want to play for him. And that really bleeds through into the recruiting process because these kids talk to the players, their friends, uh, their peers, they're guys that they know from high school and Pop Warner. And those conversations that you're having on the side, I think, mean a lot. And right now, I think the recruits are just really excited about where USC is from that standpoint. Now, a lot of people, there's that big debate. You know, if you get rid of Ed Erdron, and I say get rid of, meaning they do not hire him as the head coach of USC for next year and thereafter, you risk the possibility of losing a lot of these kids in the 2014 class. You lose a lot of momentum, and a lot of fans are afraid of that. At the same time, I think at USC, as administrator, Pat Hayden, everybody that's involved with that process of hiring a new coach, no one is going to be held hostage by the 2014 class. Nobody can be held hostage by guys maybe leaving early, maybe not leaving early, because the truth is you don't know what the unknown is. You don't know what you don't know in a new hire, and that really is just the unfamiliarity that the recruits have with the next head coach, and that's really the reason why I think a lot of them, um, they, they're, they're excited about Coach Erdron because they know Coach Erdron, and, and if you don't know who else is coming in, it's hard to get excited about a guy that's not been hired. So people have to kind of take that with a grain of salt. They kind of have to realize, okay, yes, Coach Erdron is doing a great job, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that USC could not bring in someone else that could not also do a great job, that could not also uh, rally the troops on the team and inspire them and excite recruits all at the same time. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, everybody has to kind of take a deep breath, and, and there's been a lot of debate over, you know, Ergeron or not Ergeron, a lot of people claiming that the pro-Ergeron crowd is being very emotional because they beat Stanford and they beat Oregon State on the road, which is two things that USC has not been good at <laughs> in, in many years, actually. Even going back to Pete Carroll, they haven't been good at beating uh, Oregon State on the road. And obviously this is not that kind of Oregon State team, not a very good Oregon State team this year. But still, I mean, you know, they're coming away from a tough loss at South Bend, they've kind of resurrected the program to some extent with Coach Ergeron, and uh, and you know that's that says a lot. And and people want to bring back into the old Miss conversation and his record there. Um, the here and now is what people see, and it's what have you done for me lately that is the biggest factor in coaching. All right. Well, you want to get to some questions? We can uh, go through some of these and, and get your thoughts. Yeah, we need questions to kind of form our conversation on recruiting because there's a lot of directions we could go from the Stanford game. Okay, uh, well, let's go – and the the Colorado game, too. Okay, let's go to Jay, I guess. Uh, Ryan, could you Did anybody to... see the Colorado game? That was actually on the Pac-12 network, no. which uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't we... have and none of my friends have either. Yeah, we. I was there, so I saw it, and it was cold. Um, but... <laughs> That's good. That was a good report. Yeah, very cold. Information. I tweeted a lot during the uh, the broadcast, so you could, you know, if, if you weren't watching the broadcast. A lot of people said thank you for the tweets because I don't get the Pac-12 network. So, But we talked a lot about that Coach Every High did in the uh, in the podcast on Monday. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll skip the, the Pac-12 network bashing and just go right to recruiting. Um, Ryan, could you ask Gerard what he knows about uh, Diamond Lee from Chaminade? And MSC has shown any interest, even though he's only a sophomore. Don't know anything about him, to be honest with you. Sophomore, right now we're focused on 2014, (laughs) first and foremost. 2015 is also going to be a huge class uh, for USC, but if you talk about 2016 kid, a little farther off in the distance, and we kind of need to see what's going to happen with the here and now. So haven't gotten into too many 2016 kids. There's a handful of them out there that are going to be good players, but – 
you know, don't know much about him. I saw a little bit of Shamanad, watched a little bit of Brad Kaya, um, you know, this season. He has a USC offer, the quarterback, and uh, committed to Miami still a guy that has that USC offer that I don't know if USC can really take in this class uh, with, you know, the amount of, of, of scholarships that they have and the need positions that they have. You know, they're going hard on offensive linemen, which at the beginning of the year we really looked at that as being a position where USC would probably only take three. Now we're talking about five, maybe even six offensive linemen in this class that USC will sign. So quarterback, while it's kind of a weird position USC's in, because it depends a lot on what Max Whitick is going to do, because I think at this point it's safe to say that Cody Kessler has kind of secured that starter spot. You have Max Brown there as a redshirt freshman next year. You know, what happens with Max Whitick? If Max Whitick transfers, it does make it tough for USC because now you've only got two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, and that's really tough. That's really tough to have a good scout offense when you've only got two guys on the roster. Really what you want to have in practice is your first-team guy and your second-team guy both taking reps with the first-team offense just in case something happens and your first-team quarterback goes down in the game. So really it's your third-team quarterback that becomes the scout offense quarterback, and that's the guy that's going to give you a good look or is going to give you a bad look. And having a walk-on that, at that position is it's tough, especially with USC where, you know, walk-ons, those guys, they got to pay a lot of money to go to school. It's yeah. not, you know, like a state school or UC school. So um, that's going to be interesting how that all shakes out, uh, you know, to kind of digress a little bit. And I don't know if there's a question about this, but talking about Brad Kaya at Chaminade, there's been some talk of Keller Christ being a little bit of a guy that uh, might have some interest in USC. Uh, you know, he's the 6'3", 210-pound quarterback from Palo Alto. He's been committed to Stanford since the summer. And uh, and Chris is a guy that, um, you know, would be a guy that I think USC would want to take. I think he's good enough. He's at that level where if USC could take a quarterback in his class, they go after him. He was really the guy with the only scholarship offer in the 2014 class for a long time from USC. He was the lone guy. And made sense that he committed to Stanford from Palo Alto. Stanford was doing very well quarterback-wise. But after that Stanford game, you talk about the ripples and kind of the aftershock of that game. Keller Chris was one of those guys that kind of came out a little bit as, uh, you know, you hear a little bit of rumblings that maybe he reached out to USC and wants to talk to them a little bit about maybe an official visit. And so we'll see what happens there. And. All right, let's go to, let's see, we got a question from Manny in Seattle, Washington. What's out there on T. Shepard's JUCO transfer status? I haven't been able to find much uh, at all about his recruitment. It looks like he'll be a 2014 fall enrollee. Would appreciate if you were Gerard. Nope, the staff has been in contact with, with him, which coach is recruiting him, and his realistic interest level in USC. Thanks for all the work. Uh, you and your team put in. I love the content, and I really appreciate everything the site offers. Manny in Seattle. Yeah, we were asked about T. Shepard uh, a few podcasts ago, and I think at the end of the day, once you go to Mississippi for junior college, you kind of leave the radar for USC. You certainly leave my radar. Uh, that's kind of yeah. a dark hole uh, when it comes to recruiting. I don't really know what's going on with T. Shepard. I know there was some talk that he had a scholarship offer from USC. To my knowledge, that is not recent, and there's not an accurate offer out there uh, for anything that's happened since he left, I believe, College of the Sequoias. So, I mean, this is a guy that, to rewind for people, uh, out of high school, committed to Notre Dame, sight unseen, with his buddy, uh, um, Deontay Greenberry, who was a receiver in Fresno, and they were both committed up to scene to Notre Dame. They went through the process for a while, uh, took their official visit to Notre Dame, decided to take a last-minute official visit to USC, which I think was in kind of early December. And, uh, you know, at that point, T. Shepard was supposed to be an early enrollee for high school. He was supposed to graduate high school in December, and this is after he had actually transferred in high school and had to sit out his whole senior year. So basically, his senior year, fall semester, he was just focused on school. He didn't play football. Well, he went around, went to USC, kind of gave USC, oh, I think I want to commit here, I think I want to stay close to home, went through that whole process decided to basically go underground for a while. Nobody heard from him, 
pops up. He's going to stay with Notre Dame. Okay, fine. Enrolls at Notre Dame. Is taking classes at Notre Dame. Somewhere along the line, somebody at Notre Dame figures out, you know, this guy doesn't have enough credits to actually be enrolled in college yet. He evidently did not really graduate from high school. So he more or less gets kicked out of Notre Dame. People say it's an injury. There's a lot of, you know, different rumors. It ends up being academically, he just didn't have the grades, didn't have the classes. They send him off. He has to go to junior college, ends up, I think, at College of Sequoias at that point. Because at College of Sequoias for a while, his buddy Deontay Greenberry, by the way, uh, a couple of days before signing day, ends up not going to Notre Dame, goes to Houston. He's playing pretty well for Houston right now. Sounds like his grades may not have been the best either. So the two of them end up, you know, completely different places than they had been committed to for whole, the whole year. Uh, somewhere along the line, T. Shepard ends up in Mississippi. We lose track of him. Most people have lost track of him. As far as, you know, USC recruiting him lately, I just don't have any information on that. And like I said before, at the top, I don't know that he has a scholarship offer now from USC. And if he's a guy that's coming in fall 2014, I mean, I don't know. That's next year. <laughs> that's, that's certainly not what USC wants in terms of uh, junior college prospects. They want guys that they can bring in mid-year. They want those guys in for January of 2014 where they can be able to participate in spring ball. So to my knowledge right now, everything that I know about T. Shepard is that uh, USC is not looking at him as a recruiting target at this point. All right, uh, let's go to Terry in. He says, Gerard, with getting commitments from quote-unquote lower star recruits, what – would you tell us what value you put on the rival star designations? What value I put on it personally, I think it gives you an idea of who's been evaluated, uh, who's been out there, who's been on the radar for the longest, and who's gone out there and proven that they are a top player uh, from the standpoint of you know being able to back it up at a camp or being able to back it up at a game. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that those are the best guys of the best because there's a lot of guys that we don't see. There's a lot of guys that Rivals doesn't see uh, enough of to maybe make an accurate um, ranking of that player. Um, but, you know, I think it shows you kind of a good idea of who's out there and who's, you know, some of the top players as opposed to the guys that may be, you know, they get the early kind of uh, hype because of whatever reason. Maybe they just have, you know, great statistics early in their high school careers or guys that peak early. Um, it, it kind of sifts through that a little bit. I, I don't know how to quantify what value I put into it. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. Uh, USC getting guys that are two stars and three stars, I think that kind of shows you where USC is as far as recruiting. They've definitely taken a step back. They've had to take a step back. But I think there's – a value to it in that now they are really trying to find guys locally and trying to develop those guys locally. And I think when you talk about hype, you know, West Coast as opposed to East Coast, I think there's always going to be more, you know, pub and, and more publicity for guys in, in places like Texas and Georgia where high school football is a big deal. So the California it's 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 moderately interesting for people. It has somewhat of a market, but you know, in Los Angeles and California, a lot of people want to do other things. I mean, college football has to vie and fight for people's interest. So when you're looking, you know, at at, at UCLA when they're you know 65,000 people in the stands and they're ranked 11th in the nation, that kind of gives you a little bit of an understanding of yeah, well, high school football is certainly not going to be the biggest deal to people either. Um, so I think there are kids that are overlooked. There are those kind of blank spots in the map in California and in Southern California where guys get overlooked. And I think that's where USC definitely has to focus a little more on uh, on those players locally. And maybe if they had offers earlier, those guys would be on the map earlier. They would get more evaluation, and then they would be ranked higher. That's kind of sort of how it works. So I think that's how you have to take it and have to look at it. Maybe this guy, like a Chris Brown, who's a 6'5", 290-pound offensive lineman from Loyola, he's a guy that didn't – he only had a scholarship offers from Washington State, San Diego State, and Fresno State in October. Okay, he puts out his senior film as his first four games. The next thing you know, USC is offered, UCLA offers right after, Boise State offers, Texas A&M offers, Oregon offers. I mean, he ends up getting 12 more offers from that point on. So that's a guy that now is not really ranked. I don't know if he even has two stars for Rivals.com. 
But obviously, if he had those offers in spring, then everybody would go see him. He would be a guy that would be on the map. You'd have to go see his games. You'd have to watch him more closely. And then maybe you start to you know, take a little more of evaluation. He ends up being a guy that's a four-star recruit at this point and seems to be a guy that's not ranked at all. So I think that's kind of how you have to take it. That's how you have to look at it and realize that, you know, locally, if USC and these local schools like UCLA are not offering guys early, then it doesn't put them on the map for guys like myself and Rivals.com to really know much about those kids and to look at them so they don't get ranked. And, Terry, don't fall into the trap where, you love the rankings when USC has a bunch of five-star guys on the commit list and you see a couple three-star guys and you're like, oh, I don't think I like these rankings. So, it's, I mean, it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, um, and, you know, the thing is, quite frankly, I think that uh, the fans love a commit regardless. If it's a guy that's a, that's a five-star, well, guess what? He's going to come in as a true freshman. He's going to catch 50 passes and, and 10 touchdowns. He's going to have 100 tackles as a freshman. Whatever the case may be at whatever position he is, he's going to be an immediate impact player. He's going to be a guy that's that missing piece of the puzzle to get to the national championship. And if he's a two-star guy, well, guess what? USC just found a gem. And this is the guy that they're going to be able to develop that nobody else knew about because he was local and they're able to get on him first, and he's going to be a great player for USC. There's all this mystery factor that comes into a guy that's a two-star or a three-star recruit. Maybe he's that guy that's the Josh Pinkert of the class. So it really works either way, and, and you know, I think you know fans are just excited about – you know, taking a, a guy that you 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 can you can put to what you have now and build, and it's it's part of kind of that preseason. Uh, you know, everybody gets enamored with rankings and stuff because everybody in the preseason, wow, you know, we could we could end up winning the Rose Bowl. We could be this. We could be that. Everybody's great at the beginning of the season when nobody's played any games, and that's kind of sort of how recruiting is. Nobody in that class has have played any games yet for USC, so they could all end up being stars. All right. Uh, well, we still got a bunch to get to, so we'll probably do a little more rapid fire uh, with some of these, as as rapid as Gerard can get, which we know is not uh, overly rapid. But here's a quick question. We'll see if it's a quick answer. David Allen, which out of state recruit is most likely to end up at USC? Wow. We have that's kind of like a like a a masked. What are our chances? Um, type question. <laughs> well, there. but I do like it. Whoever has the highest percentage, like who is there? Someone out there, out of state, that you think USC's got a, a good shot at? You know, I mean, we hear a lot about Lamont Simmons these days. He's a six-two, one hundred eighty-five pound corner from Jacksonville. He's a guy that was just recently offered a scholarship by USC, and. Uh, you know, I haven't visited USC yet, and I, and I think when you have a guy that hasn't been to USC even like unofficially, you kind of have to slow your roll and pump your brakes a little bit on a guy and and what chances uh, you know USC has of landing him. He's blown up uh, just in recent months. He was a guy that was committed to Rutgers for a while, and now he's got you know scholarship offers from Auburn. Uh, Notre Dame just came in on him. Uh, you know, several schools and several different big conferences. And it's another kind of one of those Chris Brown stories, but out of state. This is a guy that, you know, senior film seems to be what it's got everybody enamored with him. And he's a guy that's a two-star recruit, maybe three-star, I guess. And, and, and the guy that you go, wow, how can a 6'2", 185-pound cornerback that's playing, I think he plays for Jacksonville Reigns, is a pretty good high school team. How does he end up being so underrated? Uh, well, you know, the imagination starts to go wild for the fans. And it's like, this is the guy. This is the, you know, the, the Brandon Browner. This is the guy that's off the radar that, you know, USC can pluck away from Florida and he can be a big-time player for them that nobody knows about. Um, I think they have a pretty good shot at Lamont Simmons, but it's going to be one of those things that USC kind of has to get him on campus. He's got to, you know, kind of go through the process of, of being away from home and, and getting away from home before we really can say, okay, USC has a good shot at this kid. But that's a guy that his name comes up, you know, quite a few times in conversations, and especially being the guy that was just recently offered not too long ago. So I guess that would kind of be my pick at this point. Maybe Claude Palin, the 6'4", 285-pound defensive tackle, um, uh, a Juco, Kansas guy that's originally from Orlando, Florida, kind of was a no-name guy in high school, but it's kind of blown up a little bit here at the junior college ranks. He took an official visit to USC already, actually. 
Love the official visit. Says that Washington is his leader right now. We'll see about that. I think if Ed Ergeron sticks around at USC, USC has a really good shot at Clyde Palin. And he'd be a guy that's kind of a plug-in guy at the defensive line, uh, knowing that you know Leonard Williams only has one more year before he probably leaves early to the NFL. And you have George Uko there that's a possible guy that could jump early to the NFL. Uh, it'd be good for USC to be able to bring in an interior defensive lineman and have a guy that's physically ready to play play next year, especially a mid-year grad, which Club Palin is. All right, good stuff there. Wow, only named two. That's pretty good, Gerard. Nice, nice job. Nice job. Hey, man, <laughs> when the questions are not open-ended and I don't have six guys to remember to answer questions on, they're a little quicker to answer. No, that's good. Well, you could have gone through every out-of-state recruit there is, and, and you know, but that's good. See, progress. I love it. I'm sure, but people out there would love you to do that. Um, so we're not going to have a three-hour podcast, so we can't do stuff like that. Uh, Love the backhanded compliments. <laughs> Passive-aggressive? No, you obviously, you, you know more about recruiting than anybody out there. So some, sometimes I just have to, like, steer you, like, steer you in the right direction, and that's how we our yin and yang work. And uh, Well, anyway, James wants to know, Austin Malawata, tell me something about him. I looked at his stats this year on Centennial's team. He's only made four solo tackles and 22 assists in seven games. So this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, that doesn't sound too earth-shattering to me. What are his strengths and weaknesses, and why did they go after him? That's James. He's a little more of an open-ended question. Uh, <laughs> Austin Malata is from Samoa, and he is right off the boat. I mean, this is one of the most raw players you could possibly find, a guy that was playing high school football in Samoa. Uh, last year. In fact, they only play seven games in the regular season in Samoa. So last year at this time, he wasn't playing football. He was chilling at home. And that's kind of what you do in Samoa. You don't have much of an off season. You don't have much training. He's kind of playing by the seat of his pants, um, even though he's at Corona Centennial and he's getting good coaching there. Uh, from a standpoint of ceiling, his ceiling is very high. Uh, he's a high motor guy. He's got good quickness, good athleticism, natural strength, a guy that hasn't been in the weight room very much. Um, in terms of his productivity, hasn't been great. And, you know, there's obviously questions about that. There's questions, you know, early when he was uh, committed uh, during May evaluations that USC maybe went on him too early. You know, at that point, he only had one other scholarship offer, and that was from Ole Miss. Uh, a couple other schools came in afterward and offered him scholarships, ASU, Washington State. But still, you know, USC was definitely the biggest of the bunch. He committed on the spot, big-time USC fan, loves USC, part of that Oosh crew, which is the uh, Samoan contingent of, uh, you know, kind of a handful of players in this class that are all looking at USC, and they're all very tight and they're close. And he being the guy that's, like, fresh, like I said, you know, fresh off the plane from Samoa, um, kind of an interesting uh, interior lineman that uh, I, I think USC just feels like it's all about potential with him and maybe a guy that can do some things like J.R. Tavai. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I can't necessarily explain the lack of productivity. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if the statistics are, are necessarily totally accurate. Yeah, I'm not sure know. where they even came from. That's, that's the one thing. It's, it's hard to get good high school stats sometimes. Yeah, it, it might be max preps, and sometimes Centennial has all the games listed. Sometimes they don't. Um, it's just kind of sort of a, a question as to, you know, um, the coaches, if they get in there and they're able to, to put those, those stats online. So, um, you know, I, I just it, that's, that's really the, 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 the whole scouting report on him. I mean, he's quick. We've seen him uh, at the B2G Elite Camp. And the funny thing was, is we were at the B2G Elite Camp, and we see this kid uh, who comes in just middle of the afternoon, second day. And, uh, you know, Polynesian kid, we're watching him. And he's just killing uh, on, the, on the, the line drills. You know, one-on-ones and the, and, the, and the position drills that they're doing. And it wasn't necessarily a, a, a really great camp from a lineman perspective. So it wasn't like he was going against great competition. But when a guy just stands out that much with his athleticism, you know, his quickness, his explosiveness, you just kind of take notice. We're watching this kid, and we're going, man, this guy's, this guy's built well, and he's quick, and he's powerful. And we're thinking it's a kid that is actually a defensive tackle from uh, Utah. And it's Adam Gordy and I are watching him. And then Adam goes over to, to interview him, and it's Austin Malata. We just didn't recognize him because he had his hair in cornrows, which he usually has his big mane of hair going. And he just he was bigger, and he had his cornrows going. And he just totally looked like a different dude. 
And I was like, wow, okay, yeah, awesome, Alanta. That's kind of what USC saw. You know, we, we, we just a guy that, you know, when we looked at him, didn't recognize him. We were just watching him for his talent, and he was definitely a good player, and he was definitely explosive. And I think it's all that upside that, that USC is enamored with and they like. And, and, you know, you can't ever get enough hard-nosed, tough, physical, high-motor defensive linemen that just go out there and just play hard. I think it's just a matter of how much can he process, how much can you coach him up, and how much more can you get from him from a technique standpoint to make him a more polished player as a pass rusher and a guy that assignment-wise uh, you know, is able to make plays and, and not be necessarily a detriment because you know he's, he's getting blown off the ball just because his technique is bad. So um, there's question marks about him, but I think um, you know that's kind of sort of the scouting report on him, and I think that's why uh, USC is sticking with him. All right, let's go to Dave in San Clemente. He said, we always hear about the coach's big board for recruiting. Is there an actual physical whiteboard or something similar that the coaches have in an office? If so, what does it look like, and how is it structured? That's Dave and St. Clemente. Well, there is a big board, and actually Ryan got uh, a tour of um, the McKay Center over the summer, and um, I think the coach has kind of gone over with you some things and showing you kind of some of the processes of of recruiting, and there is a war room, and there is a big board, and it's uh, just kind of like the NFL. Um, There's not all the statistical information uh, with each – you know, uh, recruit, it's, it's, I guess you actually, you would probably look at it more less as a draft board, but more as a, uh, kind of a, um, a training camp board for NFL, uh, players, you know, where you have each guy and you, you did, you know, they're going up on depth charts and stuff like that. And you have your guys that are, are, are colored as offered guys, your guys that are colored as target guys. And then your guys that are kind of the unknown guys that are, that are there and your commitments and everybody's kind of got a color coded thing. And it's all, you know, these are our guys at the top of our board and they're all listed there. And it's, you know, pretty much that's what it is. <laughs> There's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just a something to say, okay, this is who we offered. This is where the guys that we've evaluated. These are the guys that we have in a row, kind of how we have them rated. You know, is there a guy here that we need to offer at this point because we don't feel good about the other guys listed here at this position? And it's just a matter of that. You know, it's a matter of just the coaches sitting there looking at it and going back and forth as to, um, you know, who needs to be rated higher and who do they have a good shot at, who they don't have a good shot at, who has offers at how many positions and what their needs are. So it's it's just a visual aid, so to speak. It's no kind of uh, amazing, cute little technological advances to it. Um, of course, I don't know if I've ever seen any big boards in the McKay Center itself. Maybe it has changed. Maybe it's been upgraded along with the facilities, Ryan. Yeah, I'm not sure. We didn't get to see that when we got our tour because um, it, it wasn't all the interior wasn't finished yet. But they that's what they had in Heritage Hall, and it was just like Gerard said, like little placards of guys' names on it, different colors designating different you know uh, categories of what the player is and if he's a commit and stuff like that and if he was offered so I, i'm sure it's something similar but it's it's like gerard said it's something visual that you can kind of walk through and when you're in a meeting and you're talking about your maybe you throw in tape of a guy and he's a linebacker and it's some maybe it's someone new they can glance over at the board and see what guys they've offered and, and where he kind of fits in so yeah definitely more of just like a visual there, I, yeah, I don't know if they have some kind of computer screen that they do that on in the in the McKay Center. We would have to ask some guys about that, but I I, I would guess it's still some sort of board like that that's easy to manipulate that they can move guys around and and stuff like that. Um, Melvin has a question, Gerard. How is it that USC can still compete in recruiting wars without the high school kids not even knowing who might end up being the head coach next year? Is USC telling kids that they will? Uh, indeed name the head coach before signing day in February, that's Melvin. Yes. I mean, I think that's pretty much uh, agreed upon by everybody that there will be a head coach name for next year in December, probably. I don't think they're even going to wait till January. If they wait to January, that's really pushing it. All of a sudden you've lost some of some official visit dates in December and you're, you're dealing with a longer uh, dead period now in recruiting. Um, it's not going just to the ninth, but it's going into I think the fifteenth or something like that. It's a it's a longer period for uh, you know no contact uh, with recruits. So you really have to get this done here in the next couple weeks. 
And it, it, honestly, it's a little surprising that they've been able to recruit as well <laughs> as they have. And people are talking about two-star recruits and three-star recruits. I mean, I think any recruits, I, I think, shows you the power of the university. I think it's the the, the power of the fan base and, and how these kids are just fans of USC and they want to go to USC. And some of them are still waiting and they're going to wait because they want to know who the head coach is. They think that that's going to be a very important part of you know, the, the, the rest of their career from a schematic standpoint, you know, what position they play and, you know, what plan that head coach and those assistant coaches that coach under him will have for that player. And that's very understandable, but there's some guys that are just SC fans. And regardless of what coach you bring in there, they want to be at USC. You know, guys like uh, Jane A. Harris, who's the uh, 5'11", 180-pound um, athlete from Crenshaw who committed to USC. A guy like Shea Fields, Who's uh, the uh, you know five ten hundred and seventy pound wide receiver from St. John Bosco? Uh, there's some guys there in that class that are just they love USC, and with all the uncertainty that there is, and and some of these guys committed when USC wasn't very good. You know they were committing to USC when USC was really just coming off of Lane Kiffin, and the program was basically thought to have mailed it in. You know for the rest of the year, okay, you know Lane Kiffin, no head coach. Ergeron's the interim coach. Hopefully, can win a couple games, but we're all just going to wait and see who this next big coaching hire was going to be. And those guys were in then. So that goes to show you, you know, how much they like USC and how much they love USC just for USC and not necessarily uh, the coach that's going to be at USC. And you know, I, I think that that's that's a big deal. And, and obviously, it's it's something that speaks to what the university offers from you know, just the inherent advantages it has, whether being in Los Angeles, kids want to stay close to home. You know, you could say all you want about Southern California and taxes and this, that, and smog, but guess what? You look outside like a day-to-day, and you, and, you, and you think about what it is like back east right now, and you think about the conveniences of going, you know, anywhere and doing anything you really want to do. It's kind of that Southern California in a nutshell, you know? I mean, it's... Uh, very convenient. You have, you know, I've got like, you know, I'm even living really that close to LA. I live about an hour and a half away from LA. And I've got like five Costco's within 20 minutes of me. You know, man, that's Southern California. You, you, whatever you need, you can get it here. And so those, those kind of inherent advantages that USC has, private school education, that's, that's all still going to be there regardless of what coach is there. Obviously, the kids want to win. And when you start to go up higher on the food chain and kids have more options and they're hearing from more coaches, more things get in their head about, hey, man, you need to win. You need to go with a coach that can get you to the NFL, yada, yada, yada. So they, they need to hear that from the guy that's going to take over for sure, and they need some stability. And until USC names the head coach for next year, they won't have that stability. So the top end of the recruiting class is going to remain kind of open-ended, but you have – a handful of guys that are literally it's the university recruiting itself. All right, let's go JD and DC uh, with very, uh, four very solid commits now on the offensive line and Damian Mama, a presumptive Trojan. Are we done offensive line recruiting? Obviously, if the coaches can land Casey Tucker, you make a spot for him, but you make room for say Chris Brown, who only has nineteen with only nineteen rides in this class. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, we talked about Chris Brown already a little bit, and, you know, you look at Chris Brown as, okay, is there room for a guy like that? Well, who is that guy? Because you're saying, well, we got to make room for Casey Tucker. Well, why? Well, what is, why, what is it about Casey Tucker that you got to make room for? Is it because he was a guy that had way more scholarships early, was committed to USC early, and decommitted, and is now rated like a four-star guy, whereas Chris Brown is not rated? I mean, I think that you don't make room for Casey Tucker, quite frankly. I don't know that he's a guy that you have to make room for. Damian Mom is a guy that's been recruited since day one by USC. He's a big-time local interior lineman. He also has, you know, a lot of pub behind his name. But I think because he's never committed to USC and then decided to decommit, uh, because of a losing season, and let's just be frank about it, Casey Tucker got caught up in the hype of the 2012 preseason recruiting class. He was part of that you know, big group of guys that committed over the summer, but he committed as a junior. And then when USC had that fall-on-your-face, no pun intended, season in 2012, 
he bounced. So it's kind of like, hey, Casey Tucker, it's cool that, you know, you liked USC when they were good, and now you like them when they're good again. But I don't think he's the level of guy that you have to make room for. And I think, quite frankly, there may not be room for him. But it does leave a little bit of that, do they take five or could they take six guys? I think, you know, with Damian Mama, he's always said he's not going to commit until later in the year, until January. He's taken that official visit to USC January 17th, along with Vianney, Talamayavo, uh, um, Juju Smith will be on that official visit as well. Uh, they're all coming in with uh, Toa Lobanon, who's going to be an early enrollee, so he'll already be on campus, and they're going to kind of get together, and maybe Toa Lobanon can kind of sort of host them a little bit. Um, it's going to be, you know, the Oosh crew coming together. So that's been the plan for a while. I don't know what Casey Tucker's plans have been, but they haven't involved USC for a while. So I, I kind of don't think USC is saying, hey, we need to make room for, for Casey Tucker. Uh, with Chris Brown, that's, you know, the question. Do they get five or six? If Chris Brown commits, I think, earlier – and decides to shut it down earlier, I think there's a chance there could be uh, six offensive linemen in this class because of Damian Mama, but not necessarily because of Casey Tucker. Not unless Casey Tucker decided, hey, you know what, I made a big mistake. I need to try to get back in and was willing to commit to USC early than I think, oh, well, then, yeah, because you still got Damian Mama floating out there. I, I think it's more of, you know, what has the, – the, the table has been set a little bit, and you have certain things that you understand – uh, from a recruiting trail standpoint, you understand that Damian Mama has always been out there as a guy that's, you know, not going to make his decision early, but you feel good about him. Uh, whereas, you know, some of these other guys, they may have a place, they may not have a place because USC hasn't necessarily already had it in their mind set that they were going to make later decisions. All right. Uh, we've got a few more. Let's try to get them all in here. Kevin in South Orange County sticking on the offensive line. So I remember back when Jordan Poland committed almost 18 months ago, Gerard said he would be rated as a five-star guy and one of the top tackles in the country. Was his inability to play this year due to exhausting uh, eligibility and the reason why he's not more hang- highly rated, or did something else happen? That's Kevin and South OC. Yeah, Poland right now is actually, I guess you would classify an academic gracier, sort of. Um, he had exhausted his athletic uh, eligibility and still had another year that uh, he had to take academically, mainly because he went to La Jolla Country Day High School, which um, in terms of college prep courses is just, it's just much more demanding than your regular uh, high school courses. So he decided to wait out the year and take those courses and be able to uh, go ahead and, and be eligible for a mid-year graduate. So he'll be there for spring. He's one of those guys. He's one of two guys right now that's a mid-year grad, he and Toa Lobendon. Uh, the only two guys that, to my knowledge right now, are set to be able to uh, graduate from high school in December and be on campus in January. Um, as far as him being a five-star, when I saw him, I thought he had the potential to be that guy. I never thought he would be that guy as a certainty. Um, I think, you know, when you have that size and that height and he's as nimble as he is, you know, talk about six seven. A legitimate almost 6'8", 330 pounds, and he's a basketball player, and he's really, really agile for a guy that size. Um, certainly there's the physical potential to be one of those kind of franchise left offensive tackles. The biggest issues for him is, one, yes, he's not playing this year. So while he got on the radar early with USC and some of his scholarship offers, um, you know, but he's been able to go see him. And this is kind of what we said at the top of the podcast as far as, you know, the two-star guy and, you know, how much value do you put in rankings? Well, it it really has a lot to do with exposure and the people that you get to see. I, I, I would value rankings with rivals, um, you know, moderately high when I know that those are the guys that they've seen. When you're talking about a guy that's out there like a Juju Smith or you're talking about a Dory Jackson, uh, Rivals has been at the top as far as evaluations and making, uh, you know, good calls on players uh, for the last decade. So, I mean, I would say, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with that. But when you're talking about some guys that maybe people haven't seen a whole lot of, a Janie Harris, uh, Chris Brown, guys that just kind of got on the map recently because they've just gotten bigger offers recently – then you're talking about a measure of exposure 
and how much exposure you get is, you know, often tied into how much evaluation time you get. So maybe you see a little bit of a film and maybe you see, you know, him play uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a tournament or something like that. You know, is that really enough? Maybe he had a bad day that day. So you really, you know, you really have a lot to kind of uh, – uh, to kind of take a step back from as far as what you don't know about the guy more than what you do know about the guy. Um, and I think with Jordan Poland, that obviously hurt him. What also hurt him is, you know, he came in and played as a junior, and he played at La Jolla Country Day High School, which is certainly not Servite. It's not modern day. It's not even Crenshaw or Sarah. It's it's just, you know, a very small school playing against small school competition. Um, I mean, he was out there and it was just a bunch of little kids that were running around him like little toddlers. I mean, he just completely looked out of place on his high school football team. So level of competition is obviously something that gets taken into account, and people are a little hesitant to go ahead and say, okay, yeah, this guy's a five-star. He's one of the best 25 players in the country, which with rivals you're usually looking looking at guys that, you know, maybe 20, 23 guys that are five stars in the whole country. So that obviously is something that's going to kind of, you know, put, put the, pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, I've used that term a lot already this podcast. It's getting that time of year uh, where you got to pump the brakes on everything you say. Um, but um, I think those are the kind of the reasons that you know, everybody was kind of like, okay, Jordan Poland, good player, maybe top 100 player, but we kind of have to wait and see. And, and we're still kind of at that point right now because he didn't play his senior year. Okay. Uh, two more. we get these out. Paul and Petaluma. If recruiting momentum continues to build and USC is able to get commitments from more than 19 athletes for the 2014 class, do you sense that there are any who might be willing to delay enrollment into January of 2015? I know this can get a little dicey and fraught with risk, but if success on the field continues and a strong coaching hire is made, there could be a lot of good players knocking at the door, guys we're going to need over the next two to three years. I'm glad he said it could get a little dicey because <laughs> – that's sort of that in a nutshell when you're talking about gray shirts. To my knowledge, I don't know of any players that have actually been approached by the USC coaching staff and taking a gray shirt because regardless of rankings, uh, a guy like uh, Chen El Nuasso, um, you know, Jenny Harris, two-star guys, three-star guys, but guys that have scholarship offers from other schools, and you're talking about somebody stepping up and saying, hey, we will pay for your college. And then USC comes in and says, hey, we'll pay for your college, just not next year, the year after. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a weird question to even broach during a conversation. It's something that, you know, we're just going to kind of see how it plays out. Um, I think one of the things you have to keep in mind, though, and this goes back, you know, there's a lot of uh, kind of, um, you know, pretty questions here. We're going back to the question before. But I, I think, you know, when it was addressed, we're talking about guys that are committing that are two stars and three stars, but we're talking about guys that committed when USC was not USC. And I think the fact that they're willing to step up and be a part of that program, regardless of, you know, oh, if college game day is at USC or ESPN is talking about how great USC is, they wanted to be at USC. They want to be Trojans. You know, Casey Tucker, hey, great player, man, four-star guy, legitimate right tackle, um, I think he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's definitely talented. I think he's definitely rated uh, where he should be rated. We saw him uh, at, at a few different camps, and he was good at every camp that we saw him play. And USC needs offensive tackles. You know, they've got some interior guys. They need tackles. But he wasn't there for the long haul. And you kind of have to look at that with this team and what you're building. Character. You're talking about guys that want to be at USC. They want to play for the Cardinal Gold. It bleeds for them. Those are the guys that are going out there and they're going to play hard every game. They're going to play for their community. They're going to play for their family. They're going to play for their teammates. And you're bringing in guys that go, well, he's a five star, so we got to leave room for him. Hey, you're a two star. Can you come in next year when we have more scholarship offers? To me, that sends a bad message and it kind of bleeds through onto your roster and their players in your locker room. I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know which way USC is going to go with it, but I think if you start asking guys and you start doing kind of the Kylie Fitz thing where you call a guy up and you think he's really diehard Trojan, you tell him, you know what, we can't really take you right now. We want you, but we just don't want you right now. That was a debacle. That, that was one of the worst PR recruiting debacles USC has had in years. 
and I don't think they can afford that again, not in this class. All right, one last one. Corey and Camarillo, a couple of years ago when the recruiting restrictions began, I felt that our scholarships would be more coveted because they were less to give away, and we had great momentum. We came up with a couple of great recruiting classes despite decommitments. Is that helping us again this year with positive momentum and limited scholarships to give at the greatest university in the country, according to Corey and Camarillo? Yes. I mean, obviously, I think the, the winning and the momentum is there. The kids want to see the potential of USC back. They want to see, hey, I can go play at USC and I can win a national championship. I can go to USC and I can beat UCLA every year. I can go to USC and I can beat Oregon. You don't want to go to a school as a good player and, and there's certain things you can't do. <laughs> you know, you, you can go here, but you'll never beat Notre Dame. And you can go here, but you're never going to beat UCLA. I mean, you will be good, but we're never going to actually be a BCS level school. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to be a part of that. They want to be a part of something special. They want at least the potential for that to be there. And that's what Ed Ergeron has done now in beating Stanford. They beat the number four team in the country, a team that USC has not beaten for the past few years. And so, like you said, it legitimized USC legitimized the potential they have of next year being a good team, a good program, and also, you know, just the atmosphere and the fun and, and the excitement and the energy that Edward Run has and, and the coaching staff, all that has been, you know, kind of pumped back in the program and the kids like that. The players on the team obviously like that, and it gets back to the recruits when they talk. So that has all helped USC. That has all put them right back in the race for Juju Smith, for Damian Mama, um, to a lesser extent, Dory Jackson. We're going to see what happens with him. He's he's definitely looking down south and kind of, uh, I guess, you know, on the fence a little bit with USC and whether he's going to seriously look at USC down the road. Uh, but there's a few guys there that grew up USC fans. They are Trojan fans, and they want the opportunity to go to USC. And you and you and you know that from talking to them. You see it. You see how they they talk about how it's great to see USC back again. You know, a guy that's just doesn't really care one way or another and he's just looking at school to look at school doesn't say that. So, I mean, you see that, and these guys want that opportunity to be able to go to USC, a good USC, and they think that Edertron is now affording him that opportunity. As far as the, you know, the limited scholarship offers and the scholarships becoming uh, a bigger deal, that has actually been less of a narrative from the coaching staff, at least to this point in this class. That was something you heard a lot about uh, last year and the year before. Oh, you know, they only have 15, and I'm getting one of those 15, and it's a real honor. That's not being pushed quite as much anymore, and I don't know if that's just because we're getting to the end of the scholarship limitations and USC starting to look at that, you know, that big class that they're going to have in 2015. I don't know, but that that hasn't been quite a big a deal uh, for the kids. Uh, But obviously it's a big deal for the kids that are the guys that, you know, are the – underrated or the guys that are not rated um, that, that just wanted to go to USC. And, you know, obviously if you've got limited scholarships, I mean, it's even a bigger deal to be able to go there. If you're a guy that, you know, doesn't have a million offers, you're committed to San Diego state and USC offers you and they've only got, you know, 19 scholarship offers like, Whoa, Hey, yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Those kids are not really thinking along those lines. And so um, it's a big deal to the guys that are committed, but is it so much a, a recruiting pitch at this point? I, I haven't heard it as much as I did the past couple of years. All right, Gerard, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on the show and sharing some insights about USC football recruiting. It's going to – one more game left of the regular season, and it's going to bowl time and lots of recruiting during that period. So it should be good. Thanks again for coming on. Yes, it will be a very big game uh, this weekend against UCLA. And I uh, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you in the Peristyle. Sounds good. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to have another Armchair Quarterback podcast this week. That'll be a, a three-week podcast, a three-podcast week, I should say, uh, along with the Thanksgiving holiday. So have a, have a happy Thanksgiving. Stay tuned for our next podcast, and we'll talk to you then.